Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you, regardless of where you might go, the Word is being taught, if you go in with an anticipation that the Lord's going to speak into your heart and life that day, regardless of what the music is, whether it's familiar or unfamiliar, but if you just look at the words and you just lift those words up to the Lord, if you come with that kind of anticipation, that kind of expectation, I believe that the Lord will minister His truth to you. He will reveal Himself to you. Just as we have our daily routines in work, family, and social life, we can often end up treating church in the same manner. Whether our congregation is in a book that we don't like, or the teachings just aren't exciting, we can easily turn church into a religious routine. In today's edition of The Open Word, Pastor David encourages us to guard our hearts from regarding church as just an obligation. In our study, we learn the importance of maintaining anticipation of God's work and revelation in our lives. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Surprised by God. had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Now you need to understand the mind frame of that culture. To be with, without child, that, that's perceived as literally having a curse on you, particularly if you're a priest because there's no one to carry on your name, no one to carry on your heritage. For the most part, the people felt that if the Lord was truly pleased with you, you would have children. You'd probably have an abundance of children if God was really pleased with you. Why? Because they would look back at what the psalmist wrote. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 127, he says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So if God's going to bless you, surely you're going to have children. And if you don't have children, then apparently God's blessing isn't on you. Now that might not be verbalized to them, but you have to understand that in that culture that was very much the mindset. And even though Zacharias and Elizabeth undoubtedly wanted children, I believe that they understood that for them apparently this just was not going to be God's will. It wasn't going to be God's plan. But that didn't stop them from praying and asking. So even with that issue kind of hanging in his heart and in his mind, Zacharias goes into the temple to do the ministry 
that he was called to do. Verse 8 says that, so it was that while he, while Zacharias was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. This time of coming and burning the incense that would happen in the morning and as well as in the evening. We know that the burning of the incense was symbolic of the prayers of the people desiring the blessings of the Lord in their lives. It's estimated that at the time of Zacharias, there was over 20,000 priests available to serve in the temple. Well, they figured that there were way too many priests way back in David's time, and they divided them up into divisions. And right now at this point in time, because of his time, because he was of the division of Abijah, it was his time, it was his place to be serving in the temple. And for those that were serving in the temple, they would draw lots to figure out who it was that was going to be able to go into the holy place and burn the incense. And through God's sovereign plan, God's sovereign purpose, the lot fell on Zacharias. It was a huge honor. It was a huge blessing, and because of the great multitude of priests, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for any priest to be able to go in there. You've got to stop and figure for a moment how powerful a time that had to be for Zacharias, a man who loved the Lord, who loved serving the Lord, who came as a minister of the Lord, and he gets to be the one to bring the incense into the holy place. I believe that it was probably the highlight of Zacharias' life. Oh, but he doesn't have a clue what a great highlight that time was going to be. Why? Because God is going to surprise him even in the midst of that. Now, before we go any further, you need to understand also a little bit of the background of the significance of what's going to happen. The temple that we're speaking about here is known as the second temple. It's also known as Herod's temple, but before it was claimed as Herod's temple, it was the second temple that was built around 518 BC by Ezra and those that assisted him during those times. And you can go back in your Old Testament, look at the book of Ezra and read all about those things. The problem was, is when they built it in Ezra's time, there wasn't anything spectacular about it at all. Remember, Solomon's temple had been destroyed Now they came in and they rebuilt this second temple. And the people who had seen Solomon's temple, once this second temple was built, the word says that they cried because it just did not have the splendor of the first. It was kind of a sad representation of the first. Well, they had that temple for years and they went through, again, the ceremonies and the feasts in that temple for years. And when Herod came to become king, he moved into this huge building program all throughout Judea. And so he did a major remodel and expansion of this temple. And that's why today we refer to it as Herod's temple. He made it a beautiful, spectacular place. The sad thing was we never read From the Old Testament time of Ezra on into this time, we never read where God ever showed up at that temple. If you remember the story when Solomon had the temple built, the first temple, and Solomon prayed the prayer of dedication, the glory of the Lord came into that temple in such a powerful, powerful way that literally it drove the priests out of the building because the glory of the Lord was so strong there. The second temple was built And we never really read where God showed up at all. 
They had a beautiful building, but God wasn't there. That's a sad declaration, whether it be the temple of that day or churches that are built today. Having a beautiful building, but God not there. As a matter of fact, for the people of God, they'd not really heard a word from the Lord for over 400 years. Since the time of the prophecy of Malachi, we have nothing else in Scripture of the move and the power and the Word of God. No other major prophet came. For 400 years, there had been silence. But yet for 400 years, priests had entered into that temple. They went through the motions without any kind of a response from God. Some, no doubt, went through the motions with a heart that was far, far from God. It was just a job for them. But I also believe that there were many that went through, again, all of the ceremony, all of the ritual that had a heart for God but it just wasn't the same. God didn't show up, and year after year after year, it remained the same. Those people during that silent period, I believe that there were those that had that anxious anticipation that God would show up. I know that because even Luke writes a little bit later in his gospel about a couple of people, Simeon and Anna, who are there in the temple, and they prayed daily there in the temple, and they were of that group of people, of those that looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were prayer warriors for the people of God put it in today's setting. They were prayer warriors for the church. They wanted to make sure that God was moving within the church and that God was, was actively involved in what the church was doing. These were the ones that looked forward to the coming of that day according to the words of the prophets, the day of God's power returning to them. They believed that it could be any day now that Messiah would come, but you know what? It hadn't happened yet. And so they, along with everyone else, they waited week by week by week. Now, can you imagine the dialogue that might come after the Sabbath day meetings? The man goes home and the wife says, so darling, how was Sabbath today? That's my bad impression of a Jewish wife. So that's all we're getting. And he says, you know what? It's, 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 It's pretty much the same, pretty much the same. Sang a lot of psalms. That one psalm, they sing the chorus over and over and over again, and I cannot believe, I just wish they wouldn't do that. And they sang this one psalm, and they, they, they changed the tune to it, and I, I can't even sing to it anymore. So difficult to really enter into worship. One of them they changed, you sing it so high, none of us guys could sing it. Of course, yeah, they sacrificed a lot of animals. They went through all the rituals. And they read from the Torah, just like they normally do. Oh, man, they are in Leviticus now. And, oh, man, it's so weary, so empty. You know, it's just kind of the regular stuff. Same thing, week in and week out. And we might laugh at that kind of a thought, but in reality, the unfortunate things, many times these are the very same words or thoughts that we might have. Maybe we don't speak them out, but sometimes... We kind of feel that it's just monotonous, that there's no real glory of the Lord that comes out. Now, don't get me wrong. I I understand 
that there are going to be times that, that again, the, the regular stuff is just done, and we come and we open the Word and we study it and we, we, we desire to pull from it. We come and we sing songs and we desire to worship the Lord. But even that regular stuff needs to continually be lifted up to the Lord, not simply run through in a spirit of boredom or monotony. I feel strongly that when we come together, whenever we come together, there needs to be within each one of our lives this anxious anticipation that God is going to show up today, and he's going to minister into my life. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you, regardless of where you might go, if the word is being taught, if you go in with an anticipation that the Lord's going to speak into your heart and life that day, regardless of what the music is, whether it's familiar or unfamiliar, but if you just look at the words and you just lift those words up to the Lord, if you come with that kind of anticipation, that kind of expectation, I believe that the Lord will minister his truth to you. He will reveal himself to you. Luke tells us one other thing that was very, very important. As Zacharias was in there serving the Lord, Luke tells us that the whole multitude of the people were praying outside while Zacharias ministered. And beloved, that is a major lesson right there. The heart of the people should always be wholly involved in the spirit of the service of the Lord. Continual and constant prayers need to be offered up during times of ministry, times of worship, corporate prayer, during the teaching of the word, during every aspect. You as an individual believer, your responsibility too is to have that spirit of prayer. Let me ask you this this morning. I don't want a show of hands, okay? This is just between you and the Lord. But how often do you come into this place and as you're sitting here before the service, you lift up a prayer. It says, Lord, I pray that you would honor the teaching and the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, I, I, I pray that you would receive our worship this morning unto you. So many times we don't think about that, do we? We just kind of come in and we get into the routine of things. But how important that is, regardless of who the speaker is on any given time, that we as individual believers, we would come and say, oh, Lord, I pray for him. Maybe you're going to say, oh, I've heard him teach before. Lord, I really pray for him. But earnestly desiring that God would speak through his word to your life, that you'd be able to receive from his word into your life, that your worship would be unto him not in a frustration of a song or the frustration of a tune or anything, but Lord, I want to lift this up to you. While all of that was going on, Zacharias was ministering, the people were praying. Luke tells us in verse 11 that an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Zacharias saw him and he was troubled. I guess so. I think that's an understatement. He was troubled and fear fell on him. But the angel said, Zacharias, don't be afraid. Your prayer is heard. Now, we don't know what that prayer is, do we? But the response of the angel automatically was, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son and you shall call his name John. Now, Zacharias's prayer might be, again, for the coming of Messiah. Lord, that you, this would be the year that your Messiah would come. 
Or it might have been, Lord, we're getting well advanced in years and we still don't have a child. You know what? Whichever prayer it was, God answered both of them at that point in time. Because you see, John was going to be the forerunner of the Christ. God showed up. And I believe it's an understatement to say that Zacharias was surprised. I believe he was in total shock. For 400 years, they'd gone through the motions. Zacharias, how many years had he been to the temple? But this one time, he gets to go in and offer the incense into the holy place, and God shows up. God moved. Beloved, so often God moves in those mysterious ways in our life, ways that can't even begin to imagine, and at times that we would never expect. Are you looking for God to move in your life, or are you satisfied and settled in with just a routine Christian life? I hope and pray you are never satisfied in your Christian life. Now, we could be at peace. Paul says again that he's, he's found the peace to be able to be content in whatever state, but that's talking about riches or poor in prison or out of prison, shipwrecked or whatever. That's what he's speaking about. But Paul, I believe, just as all of us, he says, man, I, I'm not finished yet. I continue to press on. I continue to go toward that high calling. We cannot be content to be what we were yesterday or last year. There needs to be a hunger in our life that drives us forward. We need to look for those times that God is going to surprise us. We need to live our lives in a way that we can see the move of God in our life. I want to close with this story. William was a guy whose life had been very, very difficult from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, when he was six years old, his mother passed away, and so he was pretty much raised by a very, very domineering father. His father had pushed him and pushed him to get into the practice of law. And so by the time he was in his 30s, he was in the practice of law. But he also dealt greatly with depression and anxiety. He didn't want to be a lawyer. That's what his dad wanted him to be. And so when he was about 30 years old, he just walked away from it. His life had been one long accumulation of pain, particularly mental pain. In the midst of all of this depression, William's life seemed to be ruled by that. And, and, and it was a major depression. It was an all-consuming, a threatening, deep kind of depression. He had major battles all through his life, leading him on multiple times to try and commit suicide. All of that because of the frustration in his life. Until finally, at the age of 33, he was actually placed in a mental institution. But it was there at that mental institution, St. Albans, a place that for some, it was like the end of the road. It was, it was the, the loss of hope at that time. It was filled with hopelessness. But while William was there at St. Albans, one day he saw a Bible sitting on a bench out in the garden. And he picked it up, and he began reading it. And through the reading of not only the Gospel of Luke, but also Paul's writing in the book of Romans, William came to Christ. He gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ, but yet even though he had become a Christian, his life was still bent toward depression. 
He was a recluse. For the most part, he would just kind of stay away from everyone. And yet at the same time, he understood God's sovereignty. He was growing in the understanding of that. He understood God's goodness, and he was growing into the understanding of that. But yet he didn't believe that that was for him. He understood God, but he couldn't see how that was working out in his life. Well, shortly after this time, after coming to Christ, he started a friendship with a minister by the name of John. They would often talk about the things of God on into the night. They'd talk about the majesty, the greatness, the power, and the sovereignty of God. As a result of these things, William started writing things down, thoughts in his mind. Started writing, actually, poetry. And as a matter of fact, John and William collaborated together. It was John Newton and William Cowper. And together they published a book of hymns in 1779. Of that book of hymns, 208 of them belong to John Newton. And one of those hymns, everybody I believe in the world knows, Amazing Grace. William Cowper had 68 hymns in there, two of them that would possibly be very familiar. There is a fountain that's filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stains. But the one I want to call your attention to this morning is another one. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. You see, beloved, God is at work and God is on the move. And though there might not have been spectacular times within the temple during those 400 years, though they didn't see or experience what they saw at the first temple, you need to understand that God truly wasn't silent in those years. He was speaking and moving in the hearts of individuals. His plan was still there that at his time, at his precise timing, according to God's schedule, he was going to surprise the world by bringing forth first John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ, but then also bringing forth Christ as a babe. Messiah was coming, but they had a hard time understanding how he would be there. God was going to show them. In your life and mine, how often do we try to figure that God can only work in this range? God can only work within my talents, within my resources, within my understanding, and yet God really and truly wants to blow the doors off of all those things and show the greatness of his might and of his majesty if we are a people who are longing and desiring for him to work and move in our lives. That's the kind of people that we need to be. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how God will make himself known in our daily lives. But we need to be that kind of people who are continually alive with that anxious anticipation to be able to see his mercy, to be able to understand his blessings, to be able to experience his wonders and to receive his surprises in our lives. Are you living in a way of anticipation for God's work and move in your life. My hope and prayer is 
that you are because God desires to reveal himself on a daily basis and throughout the day. In big things, but more oftentimes in the small things. But are we tuned in to that? hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.